Now, when you watch a Mel Brooks comedy, all right, it just sort of, it, it sort of infects your mind and you stop being able to do jokes that aren't just spoof jokes. And you stop being able to think in ways that aren't just spoof ways. And it, it, it's, it's like a disease, really. It's like every time a voice actor does an Arnold Schwarzenegger impression and everyone just devolves around them and also does an impression. It, it's, it, it just completely destroys everyone's sensibilities uh, in maybe the best possible way, but that's to be determined, really. Welcome to City Wave Cinema. That's America. This is James. We're talking about space balls. I like how you said that's America, but I haven't said a word the you, entire listen, time we've listen, been live. Last episode, you did that to me. I didn't say shit. And you were like, I'm America. That's James. And I went, hello. I also am here. Thank you. Last episode was rough. I we have to put in, we have to put that out tonight, and I'm a little embarrassed of it. <laughs> Don't be embarrassed. It's silly. It was a rough trip. It was a rough. I think that's probably the roughest one we've ever. Uh, there put was together. not. There was not enough content in there, whatever that fucking movie was. It, we couldn't. Well, there was a lot of content, but trying to keep it straight and like I didn't get to read any of my notes because. Oh, yeah. It was just, we were trying to focus oh. on getting our story straight. Um, Shh. Jesus. And we can do that, and James can't turn on stream I'm correctly, not, I'm so... Not, I'm not here today, folks. I clocked out at 10 a.m. this morning when my eyes opened. He's really been off all day, I so. am not a real person, and I had to watch a Mel Brooks movie, and it wasn't Men in Tights. And Which so, James says is the best one, so... Oh, easy money. Robin Hood Men in Tights, number one Mel Brooks movie. Alrighty. Easy. Well, let's let's talk about this one, though, because you watched this one. I did watch this one. Now, there are a few things that I knew about Spaceballs before we watched Spaceballs. The number one thing I knew about Spaceballs is that George Lucas of Star Wars fame... In case you didn't know. In case you don't know that titan of industry. Like, are you, if you don't know, can we, are you okay? Well, you were born in the last <laughs> couple of years, weren't you? If you didn't know about you're, George Lucas. You're Gen Alpha, aren't you? Boy, you, you you must not know real words in English yet. But you can work an iPad, can't you? Probably better than me. Um, George Lucas got to read the script before they shot the movie, uh, to my knowledge. And he approved. And the only thing he didn't want them to do was to make uh, merchandise off of the movie. Which then became a running gag in the film, which right. I, I So that's love. fabulous already. That makes it um, that makes it even more funny for me because I didn't know that until this viewing of it. So all those merchandise jokes just... They hit even harder. Yeah, they really were great. So there's not... Okay. The plot, I, I kind of want to break it down in two ways. The plot to the movie, very simple. It's a sat. Is, is it a satire? It's a parody. It's a parody. Mm -hmm. Two different things. It's it's a very simple plot, and there is not a lot to it. Okay, so we're not going to spend the next two hours of recording the show breaking down all the intricacies of the plot. That was last there's, time. There's not enough here 
to do that. All it right? was too it's, much last time. It was way too much last time. There's not enough this time. We swung super hard in the other direction. Now, we are going to spend a brief amount of time talking about how good Mel Brooks is at writing jokes. Because Mel Brooks is maybe like a top four comedy writer ever. Like, so good. Very, very talented. And he's not, he's still around. Like, they just made, uh, 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 it's on Hulu right now. Uh, they just made the uh, History of the World. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, part yeah. Part two. Part like, two. that shit came out, like, this year. I know. I'm In the year of our Lord, 2023. Have you seen Mel it? Brooks is still making shit. Have you seen A History of the World? No, I haven't seen part one or part two. Oh. The first time I got exposed to Mel Brooks comedy was watching uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights. And oh my God, was it just so, it was so dumb, it was funny. And that's my favorite part about it. I think my first one was Spaceballs. That tracks, that tracks. Because my dad, it was required, it was one of the very few movies that was required viewing by my father. The list is a strange list, but it was on there. Um, so I had to watch, I, I watched Spaceballs ooh, late elementary school. Man, they say the, they say the fuck word in there. Yeah, I watched Matrix when I was younger than that. So. Oh, man. All right. Well, so here's how the plot goes down. It's a parody of episode one of Star Wars with a slightly adjusted plot device. There's no Luke. There's no Luke. We have Han Solo, <coughs> but uh, different. Lone Star. Lone Star. Um, so here's here's how it's all going down. We've got this race of folks called the Spaceballs, um, and they're just guys. Um, they're just they're just some dudes out there in space, you know. And they live on this planet that's basically a shitload of balls, uh, just as far as the eye can see. Uh, and they are headed by this man called President Scroob, uh, portrayed by Mel Brooks with a bad mustache. And their whole thing is that he's so bad at being president that he has destroyed their planet's air supply, resulting in uh, an air shortage. Uh, and so they send out Dark Helmet, a parody of Darth Vader, uh, to kidnap... A druidic princess. Oh, I'm sorry. A druish princess. Thank you. Hmm. Thank you. Um, and they will use her as ransom in order to steal all the air from the druidic planet. What the fuck is it called? Dradia? Dr what? No. I can't not know what the... I can't not know what the name of the planet is. I'm pretty sure it's Dradia. Dradia? No. It's, it's got to be another play on the word Jew, because that's all Mel Brooks does. I'm pretty sure it's like a dreidel. Oh, really? Man. Over my head. Uh, let me make sure, but... Low-hanging fruit, but still over my head. Um, so... Keep going. So, the... That's... Basically, the plot is they kidnap the princess, or they're supposed to Druidia. Druidia. Okay. Different, but the same. I think um, mine was better, actually. I think yours is actually a little bit more clever. Uh, so, 
the, the kidnap the princess, ransom for the air, the combination to the airlock around the planet, and then they will steal all the air uh, to supply planet space balls with air. Um, the hitch in this plan comes in the form of our Han Solo parody, played by Bill Pullman, terrific actor, uh, called Lone Star, uh, who gets hired uh, by the princess's father to save her and bring her back home. So, through a shortened version of episode four of Star Wars, uh, they get onto the ship where the princess is being held, and they rescue her through various hijinks, get her off the ship, go back to the planet, and then fuck off. Which is a little bit different uh, than they turn back around uh after learning some information later. So it's it's real straightforward. But the 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 golden goose of the movie is not how clever the story is, it's how high quality the jokes are. And to start, they're not excellent. But what they are is you know what it's like? It's like when you you wake up one day and you go, I I just need to eat garbage today. I I need so much McDonald's. Brain in me. candy. It, yes, it's, it's just brain it's candy. Total. It's a movie that is total brain candy. It's not supposed to be the fucking Matrix with thinking. It's not supposed to be Inception. It's not supposed to win an Oscar. It's not supposed to be Bullet Train. It's not supposed to be Bullet Train. It's it it could have been. Any of those things, if that's what they were shooting for, because it's a it's a stellar cast, it's a stellar writing team. Fucking Lucas's Skywalker sound helped with the audio for the movie, like so much. All right, it's it's so good across the board. Quality of the jokes is top tier parody, absolutely mid across the board. These jokes, okay, they're not make you laugh. Like, bust your gut, laugh. But they are all hitters. Every joke is funny. And eventually, when I was taking notes, I just stopped writing notes about the movie, and I started writing jokes down. Like, I just would write the joke or the punchline to the joke so to keep track. So you could talk about it later? Yeah, so I could talk about it. Um, also, I don't, I don't remember a, fourth, a series of fourth wall breaks. There's so many are, in this movie. That are this good. This movie I think, has a lot of meta-ness to it yeah, too, which yeah. I I enjoy. I'm a meta I'm I'm a I love meta. I think maybe uh it was in the trivia on IMDb that Mel Brooks has said that his favorite jokes from the movie are uh oh fuck, I can't remember what one of them was, but the other one was Colonel Sanders getting to rent space balls before it was done being made, which he thought was great. Oh no, it's the merchandising. The merchandising, All the merchandise across the, throughout the whole film. That's because that's a complete jab at him. And he has a good sense of humor. If you, at Lucas, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you don't know... Um, if you don't know about George Lucas, George Lucas did not make money off the actual movies. The first movie, anyway. The first movie, at least, for Star Wars. And um, I think a lot of the original trilogy, he didn't make much Probably money not, on yeah. the actual movies... What he said was, 
we make this movie. You guys can keep the profit, like pay the people. But uh, I want all the... 100% of the merchandising rights. And that motherfucker got paid. Yeah. He wanted... Oh, boy. He just wanted all the money from the toys. And he's a fucking genius. That is maybe one of the most sound financial decisions in any contract ever. Because the movie studio thought they won huge. You don't want to get paid? Hell yeah. A sci-fi movie where the director doesn't want to take a cut of the profit? Hell yeah. You want the merch rights? Hell yeah. 100% in perpetuity. Oh my god. He's it, What a brilliant maneuver. It was one of it's probably one of the most ingenious maneuvers in pop culture history probably ever. Like it's legendary. I wonder if he still retains the profit or at least a portion of the profit from current gen Star Wars toys. I would need to dig into that, but it would not surprise me. He might have sold the actual company, but I bet he like there probably were some things in that contract that like aren't super public knowledge, but I bet one of them was like his studio still gets to do all the special effects. Like it still has to go through Lucasfilms um and Skywalker Studios or because I think that's one of them. And then I think there's some... It would not surprise me if there were some other, like, clauses in there that was, like, maintain certain amount of merch rights, gets final say on this, or something, some little things like that in his contract. That that would not shock me. He's too smart to just... Oh, yeah, to just <laughs> forego that amount of potential oh, yeah. money. No, yeah. he's, he's not an idiot. So, throughout... The movie Spaceballs. There are hundreds of little pieces of Spaceballs merchandise. Like t-shirts. There's at the end of the movie, there's a Spaceballs placemat. There's like, Spaceballs toilet paper. There's so much stuff that's like branded merch for Spaceballs. None of it was actually made or sold, as was the rule in order to make the spoof. But all of it was made for the movie. And it's hilarious. None of it's ha-ha funny. All of it is very humorous. Especially when you so know the context. Ridiculous. The outrageous amount of dumb stuff, like the toilet paper where every piece has Spaceballs toilet paper written on it. That's dumb. That's so dumb. That's so dumb it's funny. It's so good. Um, what other, like, really good top-tier jokes... Oh, okay, let's do it this way. What's your favorite joke from the movie? I'm a real big fan of the Schwartz fight. The Schwartz fight? Yeah. That's my favorite scene. And mainly because also, I'm again, I told you, I'm a metamaniac. I love meta shit. It really just tickles my funny bone when it, things get meta. So the fact that the Schwartz fight like knocked out a boom mic guy, just it's just it's just funny. That that's entertaining to me. I think I think the fourth wall breaks are really good. Uh, the only other people who do fourth wall breaks this well is Deadpool and that creative team. But man, Mel Brooks did them and they were good. Uh, I think my favorite joke is probably, oh man, I think I think I love how mel brooks does race jokes is it the comb no the comb was a good one that was really funny but i think 
it's in the same vein as the way the South Park guys do race jokes, but it's less vulgar. It's just no one gets a free pass. Everyone takes an L, you know? And I think that's really funny. And every every joke is like, it pokes and prods at tropes, but it never like just blatantly jumps on one and rides it into the ground, you know? It's always brief nods. It's never, it's never something that's so overtly offensive that you look at it and you go, oh, I'm uncomfortable. And I mean, I've seen that happen in lots of movies before where people just don't, they, the writers don't know the line. That it's just, you go too far with it a little bit and it makes the joke worse. Were you watching a Seth MacFarlane movie? <laughs> I wasn't going to name names, but, uh, the, or any episode of Family Guy, um, the, the Mel Brooks style of it is to run right up to the edge of the cliff and just sort of stand there and take in the beauty of the sunset. Uh, and that's all you ever need. Because people are going to joke about all sorts of stuff, right? Throughout history, we've joked about everything. There's always going to be someone who's willing to make the joke about skin color or tropes about different groups of people. And I think it's not necessarily something that should be off limits to making jokes about. But I think you need to properly make the joke in a way that doesn't upset anyone. And I've never in my life heard of people being properly offended at a Mel Brooks movie. I'm sure it's happened. I was like, there has to be some Christian mom group somewhere that is upset about all Mel Brooks movies. Christian moms against Mel Brooks. But the... No, like, you hear about people getting a little put off by Family Guy jokes or Seth MacFarlane stuff all the time. But I've never heard of anything from Mel Brooks's side, you know? I don't know. I The comb was really funny in the desert. Uh, he also, like, he's staunchly Jewish, and he always makes jokes about Jews. And that's, all, that's definitely something you can't get away with in modern cinema, for sure. Mm-mm. Unless you are that. Like, who else makes Jewish jokes? Sarah Silverman? Sarah Silverman does. She's Jewish. So, like... There's there's a few, but a lot of them, you're right, are um, people of Jewish descent. Yeah, like it's, it's very much, you can joke about it, but, like, you gotta be it, too. We can joke about it, you can't. Yeah, I can make a million jokes about white people. That's allowed. I know my lane. But, man, Mel Brooks does I can, it all. I can dip toes into some... Like native humor or uh, yeah, my Hispanic heritage, but even then, I still have to be careful because I'm very white presenting. Yeah, oh yeah, you are. So, just ask me to speak Spanish; you'll hear it. I even I even have it in on my notes that Mel Brooks is the only one allowed to make Jew jokes. Uh, which is how South Park gets away with it too, honestly, because of Matt. Matt is Jewish. Matt Stone? Mm-hmm. Fabulous. We found that out during one of the last seasons because we had to Google. Oh, it was the Hollywood episode. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Jews, the Jews own Hollywood. <laughs> the Jews own Hollywood. 
<laughs> terrific, terrific it's, writing. It's it was like the whole credits got rearranged, so it was like his name for yep. Stone. <laughs> Matt Stone on everything. Um, man, you know what? Actually, my second favorite joke was the Jaws. You didn't even tell us what the first one was. You no, just... I said it was just every race joke. Oh, okay. The the Jaws theme being rewritten, but still having that same sort of da da. Sound. Who did who did Jaws? Uh, I'll, let me look real quick. But because it jo- was one of them, wasn't it? Who did Jaws? Was it? It's either Steven Spielberg, Mel Brooks, or I think it's Spielberg's deal. Yeah, Spielberg did Jaws. Okay, because they're I, they're all friends, so that doesn't. Yeah. Who composed Jaws? John Williams. Who composed Spaceballs? That's the question. Probably John Williams. Let's find out. But man, that when that ship comes into view. The first time, John Morris. Yeah. Uh, but when that ship comes into view, and it just goes and goes and goes, and the Jaws theme sort of crops up underneath. Oh man, that's just that's just picture perfect. One of you know one of my other favorite jokes is the opening joke of the, the ship, ship just going on and on and on because it just goes forever and it goes. It it treads one of the perfect comedy lines of this goes on for some time but like it goes on for some time in a good way like it's not like you're just like oh god is it gonna end oh god is it gonna end but it's not like an oh my god this is the stupidest thing like make it stop it's just like yeah just like oh wait is that it oh wait oh no nope, nope it's, no, still, it's going. still going it's still going okay like it's just it's funny it's a good time are you gonna what what is what else are you gonna do here with your many notes um, you know, you know what I expected more from in the movie? John Candy. Yeah, I don't feel like John Candy got to John Candy as much as John Candy can. John Candy? As much as John Candy can. Um, there it is. The, Damn it. If, if you're going to talk about like properly legendary John Candy performances, the list is lengthy. Uh, my personal favorite is Home Alone. Of course it fucking um, is. I mean, I haven't. I know he's really good, and I know he's been in a ton of stuff. I have not seen him in a lot of stuff. I think I've seen him in planes, trains, and automobiles. That's all you've seen. Uh, it might be. I, I'm looking. He's at in a this. lot of stuff. He's but done so many. John things. Candy was good. Oh, he died the year I was born. Yeah, he, he, he died two days before I was born. Damn, that's rough. Well, now everybody knows my birthday, so... Oops. Um, I think he was fine in this movie, but I don't I don't know that he really got to shine through as talented as he is, because it didn't... None of his jokes as Barf were, like, all that great, you know? Barf was just, like... He's very much the side character. Uh, and honestly, I, I didn't much care for the, uh, Han Solo spoof either from Bill Pullman. Really? I mean, I, it's not bad. You you see, I, I, I don't feel like it was. You've seen him in Little Shop of Horrors. John Candy was in Little Shop of Horrors? Mm Mm-hmm. He plays Wink Wink Wilkinson. Oh, yeah, that's right. He was the disc jockey. Yeah. Because Rick Moranis, Rick Moranis and John Candy are like best friends. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But you know what? I'll tell you who carried the fucking movie for me. Besides Mel Brooks, because Mel Brooks is always great in his own movies. Uh, Rick Moranis. He's did great. In Rick this Moranis, movie. Rick Moranis, all over the damn place. All right. It and, was in his prime time. Oh, too. yeah. He was top tier. Uh, and the uh, Colonel Sanders, that guy, fucking great. The perfect straight man to Rick Moranis' ramblings um, and just over the top boss attitudes. So funny. Um, the asshole joke, terrific. Uh, How many assholes are on this ship? Yo, everyone in the. I'm surrounded by assholes. Just great. Um, Man, that's all so good. Uh, also, if you've seen The Rescuers Down Under, he voices Wilbur. No, take a that. That's awesome. Um, man. I also I did say though that John Candy was out here working his fur off. He does a he because he does he does a lot of stuff in the movie. I just didn't think any of it was like really good John Candy comedy. I think it's different because a lot of it wasn't like a lot of his comedy comes from like speaking roles. Yeah, and this was and very this is much more of a very that. physical comedy for him, which is different. Um, you know what else was really great? Hmm. When the guy on the radar machine after it gets jammed made all of his own sound effects. Michael Winslow, I think that was the actor. Yeah. So good. That guy, give that man a raise. He was phenomenal. He's been in a what bunch a of stuff what too. a terrific bit that he does all his own sound effects. Oh man. So um, great. Oh, I choked on my dinner while we watched this movie. He he did. And it, it was the joke. Another fourth wall break when the fucking uh when it dissolves into the sun after their first night out in the desert and you just hear Chuck and it's a John Candy joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess I guess he did do a good job where it just goes, oh, nice dissolve. Fuck me. That was funny. I love a good joke about the edit. And they did the joke. I, and, you know, it was 1987 when this movie came out. You know that they had to plan that joke. In like the joke is made in post production, but they planned it well in advance of post production. And furthermore, when the camera hits Dark uh, Helmet and just bonks off his face on the <laughs> zoom, terrific. <laughs> uh, y- y- no one ever utilizes the camera Meta humor. in the movies anymore. And I mean, I've seen it like a very small handful of times because there's not really a lot of places for it to exist in it was a cinema, it was a very 90s so technique good. uh like because there were some tv shows that did it there were lots of places that like the camera was part of like the in-universe thing yeah and there was I, like i can think of some childhood tv shows i can think of some movies where that was just like a very big thing and now i think we're more into this like fully immersive, especially with CGI and stuff, where we don't want to acknowledge that this is a movie. But I feel like a lot of 90s stuff was in that world of just, like, we're acknowledging that this is a movie. Like, uh, in example, uh, for example, uh, The Lion King, just because it popped into my head when they're singing Akuna Akuna Matata. Jeez, I can't talk. I can't talk. Akuna Matata, and they get... It's a podcast. They get to... They get to the part where uh, Pumbaa's about to say um, that he farted, and Timon jumps in and says, not in front of the kids, and, like, 
Simba does a fourth wall break. Like it's that was just like a time, like a thing of the times. Like that was just everywhere. Where the movie knew it was a movie, and the other one I think of is Toy Story with Pixar. And they always did the. They always did the outtakes. Parody. Yeah, the outtakes at the end. They did so funny. Those were so good. Those were always so yeah, good. Yeah, and it was... The boom mic in the shot in Toy Story, Woody getting stuck in the tape roll. Little help, so good. Yeah, there's lots of, like, really solid humor, but that was, like, the thing where even animated movies acknowledged this is a movie. About, yeah, it's funny to talk about it like a movie. Yeah, and so I, I think that's just a thing of the times where right now I think we're very much in this day and age where we're... We need to fully immerse you and not let you think about the fact that this is a movie. And I think a lot of that comes from escapism. I think that's a very millennial thing that, like, we don't want to think about the fact that this is, like, we want to be immersed. We want to escape. That's why virtual reality is a thing. Um, That's why 3D movies were so big for a little bit is because we don't want, we want that line to be gone. It is fun, and it I like I said, I love me some meta, but I think that the sign of the times is I want to pretend that my life doesn't exist for this period of time, and I need you to make that happen for me. Um, we see it with video games. We see it with, I mean, it's a time, it's a sign of like the social media times where like Instagram versus reality, like that whole thing, people are in so much more of a space where they don't, and especially with how shitty the past three years have been, nobody wants to pretend that this is real life. Like, no one wants to acknowledge that this is real life. We want to be distracted. We want to escape from everything. We don't want to think about the outside world for two hours. Or three hours if you're the Batman and Oppenheimer. Ugh. But yeah, that's that's my spiel on pop culture right now. What's the joke where Dark Helmet went, nah? Like, what's the context? Because all I wrote down was, nah. <laughs> and, and I feel, I remember that being a really good joke <laughs> that tickled my fancy. And I can't remember what the context of him going, nah, was. I, I don't remember why he did that. I can't think of it right now, but I love that that's the that's, only that's, note you... I, I, just, I just wrote, nah. Also, <laughs> that's like an ongoing gag is nah. Like, so there's a few people that say that. So that, like, I cannot help you with that one. Sorry. Uh, I can look it up. Talk about something else for a little bit, though. I'll see if I can A joke it that aged like milk was matched luggage. Uh, the, you also said that about the Ford joke, too. The Ford Galaxy? Yeah, because yeah. they don't make the car anymore. And it's not its not the fault of the writers. They couldn't have predicted that the 50 years from the time the movie came out that the, uh, the uh, Ford Galaxy would no longer be in production. They couldn't have guessed that. I can't blame them for that at all. But the Ford Galaxy doesn't exist anymore, and if you try to show this movie to, like, a kid, they're going to go, what the hell's a Ford Galaxy? They won't know. But I know that that's a car. And so it's still funny to me, but I'm probably amongst the last of the people who would think that's a funny joke. Um, matched luggage? Uh, nope. That was a, a a joke that either went above my head or is just too it's just old too for old. me. Uh, you know, I don't... 
I don't really get it. Uh, but that's okay. You know, there's more than enough jokes in this movie to go around. Uh, the scene where Dark Helmet's playing with his dolls after they capture the princess, uh, all of that was ad-libbed by uh, Rick Moranis. Of course it was. Uh, they It wasn't in the script initially, and they made, they made it up on set, and they went with it, and fuck, was it funny. Uh, it's just cringe enough to be like, oof, oof. Um, I have a production issue, actually. Oh. Um, that I... I I mentioned it happened twice um, throughout the movie. And I know we're kind of like skipping all over the place with the plot and stuff, but there's really like the plot could have taken 30 minutes of television and they put so many jokes in that it's actually an hour and a half. Um, But the uh, there's a scene when they first get to the yogurt statue. (laughs) um and they have smoke coming out of it and everything and yogurt's yelling at him and shit and there's a cut to an angle that's kind of a close-up on it and they slowed the footage down and i'm not i'm not sure why um i wouldn't i couldn't possibly know unless i was on the cutting room floor and i could see like what they had to cut with, uh, like what footage they actually had when they got to the edit. But they slowed the footage down because now when you shoot for film, traditionally you want to shoot at like 24.97 frames per second, which is almost 25, but not quite 25. And it gives it a very classic film look. Um, the, you want to do your like video game renderings at like 60 frames or even higher than that. You want to do slow motion at the most amount of frames per second so you can slow it down and still have it look crisp and clean. But when they slowed down the footage on the statue, I'm going to make a wild guess and say that they slowed it to, they slowed it down to where it almost looked like it was going about 20 frames per second. But it, it kind of looked like if a scene from a video game had a couple frames drop and it just like really ground down to a crawl. And you can see it if you look at there's torches in the scene and there's smoke coming out of the ear of the statue. And if you look closely at it, you'll see the smoke is moving much slower than it was in any other shot of the yogurt statue. And the flames from the torches are uh, flickering back and forth in slow motion. Um so it's definitely slowed down footage. I just don't, I, I couldn't figure out a reason why they would do it because everything else was happening in regular time. Like all the audio that you could hear was happening in regular speed. So my only assumption is that they did it because the uh, they needed the footage to last long enough to cover the audio and they didn't have enough footage. So they had to stretch it, which you can do in some instances when your shot is still and nothing's moving. But when stuff is moving, you run the risk of, you know, breaking the illusion and showcasing that it's something weirds going on in the background. And in this case, I think you're probably not paying close enough attention to it uh, to notice it. But because I work in film and I deal with frame rates all the time on all sorts of different things. Uh, it immediately caught my eye that 
footage was slowed. And I, you know, if if you have to do it, you have to do it. And back in 1987, you're working with actual film and you're cutting it with actual like blades. So, you know, there's only so much you can do. And once you make a cut, you can't go back. So, or you can, I suppose. There's ways to do it, but I was never trained on them. I learned that it's uh, <laughs> word vomit. I learned in a digital era, uh, where most of my editing can be done with very little consequence. Um, I can get away with, I can fucking get away with murder in my editing because I can always go back and change it if I need to. Um, hooray for technology, right? But it, it happens twice in that particular setting. So I'm wondering if they just didn't get enough footage there. Anyway, that's okay. that's just a little that's just a little thing that I noticed that I was like, huh, that's weird that that happened. While James was telling you all that, I did track down the clip you were talking about. Nah. It was when he was when they were doing the Spaceballs video cassette. Oh, the rental. Yeah. <laughs> And then, but they also do a who's on first joke at the same time. Yes, they do. <laughs> but like right at the beginning of that whole scene, um, they go, they do the whole like, well, no, you can see it before the movie's done. And do he's like, nah, <laughs> just flat out denied it. I, that, that shit made me laugh, first of all, because it's a blatant break from a general rule of comedy, which is to never shut something down. Uh, but also, just the way Rick Moranis delivered the line was just so great. He's like, he takes the beat, and it's a perfectly timed beat where he just goes, eh? Nah! Oh my god, it's fucking great. Rick, it's so funny. Rick Moranis has excellent comedic timing. Dude's a legend. Which is why he was so popular when he was popular, is because that he fit perfectly in. He this looks like time. such a little dork, but he's so 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 funny. He's responsible for a big section of my childhood with like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Ghostbusters. Ah, oh. dude's a legend. He's so good, man. All right, um, let's see what else. What else did I notice that I either gave a shit about or didn't give a shit about? Smoke him if you got him. That's gonna die. That joke is going to die out as cigarettes get way less popular. It it barely hits now because like I haven't heard Boop. that phrase in. Nope, couldn't think of a time. Sometime in the early two thousands, maybe. Um. Oh, the Virgin Alert. The Virgin Alert is a good thing that's, to wrap this episode on. That's a pretty good gag. Uh, it only happens once, but man. Ugh. That whole sequence in the build-up to the Virgin Alarm, or the Virgin Alert happening, is just a, a really good use of physical comedy as you just fast track this romance that has no uh no proper build at all and they're it's really such and, a, and they're playing into that a lot yeah. too where she's like I'll never have and he's not p buying into it like no you'll find some like like a normal like rom-com couple would or even like any like love interest story or the thing he, I'll never I don't I'm just going to be lonely I'll never need physical attention like you know that the next line from the boy is supposed to be like, you'll like, no, you deserve that. You find somebody and it's like he's hinting that it's him. And then she's 
like just a hundred percent like baiting him, and he's just like, yeah, uh huh, yeah, yep, good. Sounds and they like just, a great plan. They just constantly get their faces within like inches of each other through the whole scene. Because she just keeps going. Turning. Yeah, they just keep turning directly into each other's faces, and it's man, a great little bit of physical comedy. Uh, especially with the necklace bit throughout the whole thing. Um, also, what a fucking plot device the necklace turned out to be. Oh, yeah. In the era of having uh, items be your plot devices in your movies, that one is, ooh, oof. I 100% forgot what the necklace said, like, watching it through this time. Even though I knew the ending... I legitimately forgot what the necklace said, and we're going to leave you with that cliffhanger of what did the necklace say uh, for the next episode, because if I don't stop us now, there will only be one episode. That's true. So we will be right back.